Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. I also want to thank you for your patience and for your singing along and singing loud anyway, realizing that no matter what, we are here to praise and worship God. Amen. Let's go to the Word this morning, folks. We're in, you know where we are. We're in 1 John. Little, little John. Little Juan. 1 John. We're in chapter 2 this morning, if you have the bulletin, you know where we are. Our title of our sermon this morning is Walk His Way. Walk His Way, or I might have put in your bulletin, Walk Like Him. But the Aerosmith song came to mind, Walk This Way. I thought uh, Walk His Way is a better way to sing that song, right? First John chapter 2. We're going to start off by reading our passage, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. I know you just sat, but if you would stand one more time in reverence for the Word of God. We're reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. This is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning, Lord. It's so good to hear voices singing and voices saying amen and pages in the Bible turning, Lord. I pray that it's a sweet, sweet sound in your ears this morning. And I pray that upon hearing that, Lord, that you would turn your face and turn your hand upon us this morning. That as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, that that you would turn your eyes upon us and bless our time together. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts that we may receive your word. Open our eyes that we may see your beauty, Lord. And help us to cherish what we find in Scripture this morning. In your holy name, amen. You can be seated. We have a lot of ground to cover So we're just going to dive right in. We're going to be looking at verse 3 for quite a bit of time. And I'm going to do something that you're going to think, man, this guy is really just beating a dead horse. But we're going to be taking a painstaking look at a couple of very important, seemingly unimportant words in verse 3 because it's going to set up the rest of our verses, and we need to be able to filter it through that understanding. Verse 3 opens up by saying, and by 
this, we know that we have come to know him. Last week, we we looked at that word again, those two little letters, W-E, we. And here it is again that John is once again including him in the list. But I want you to see that he says, by this, we know. He is showing his audience that there is a very clear and specific way that we can have the assurance of our salvation tested. The early church by this point may very well have been familiar with Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. I believe it's chapter 13, verse 5, where Paul says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And while that is a very important um, exhortation that we would do well to heed, it might seem a little bit open-ended. Test yourselves. Well, what does that mean, Paul? Because if it's left up to me, my testing of myself is, am I a Christian? Yes, okay, I'm good. I passed the test. Hallelujah, praise God. Let's go to Brian's. But John here is now bringing some spe- a specific aspect to this testing of ourselves. We know by now that we have titled this sermon series through 1 John, Tested Assurance. And you can probably already see that John is making a really big deal very early on of testing our salvation. Because tested assurance becomes blessed assurance. By this, John says. So it's almost as though he is saying, here is your test, and here are the answers that you need to get on this test. Because it's by this specifically, that you can know that you have come to know Him. Of course, he's using the word we. Now, as you were reading through that, you probably noticed that just like last week, John draws a very straight line. Unapologetically so. He doesn't say, I'm sorry to say this, but blah, 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 blah. He draws this very straight line line. And we would do well to allow that line to be straight and not make excuses for ourselves and say, well, yeah, but that was for that time. Well, yeah, John draws the straight line and he's saying that. I I get that. But, I mean, who can really do all that stuff, right? That doesn't really apply to us anymore. After all, you're always talking about historical context, so it probably only means that for them but not for us so much today. Brothers and sisters, let us not be guilty of making that drastic mistake. Because what does John do? He does the same thing that we saw last week. He's using the first person plural, saying we. That means that he's including himself once again in this test. In other words, this test, the line is so straight That even if I, John the Apostle, do not live up to this, even I am a liar. That's how straight this line is. He's saying, we, including me. So when you and I read this, we should not say, and by this I can tell if other people have come to know Jesus. 
No, first we want to say, by this, we, including me, I have to test myself. It is one of the very, very looked over, forgotten, never even thought about spiritual disciplines in today's church is to test yourself. Examine yourself. Look at the written scripture and say, is this me? You'll notice in your bulletin, I have two questions. One question is, is this a reality in your life? Not somebody else's. So I'm making a big deal about this because it is in our nature to always compare other people first. There's a reason why Jesus said that not to go to your brother asking about his speck in the eye, but dealing first with the log that's in your eye. So often we completely ignore the log in our eye, though it's knocking things over in our life, though every time we turn the corner we hit someone in the head with the log that's in our eye. So this morning, let's not do that. Let's examine ourselves against this. He says, by this, we know. He is not leaving any doubt in the reader's mind as he states emphatically that by this we can know. In other words, this is not a gray area. This is not a sometimes this, sometimes that. You know, there's room for cultural nuance. There's, it's none of that. John is writing very black and white. By this you will know. He doesn't say, by a, a general uh, a list of a couple of things, you could possibly come to know who, come, who truly knows the Lord. No, he says specifically, by this thing, you will know this thing. You can come to know, if you truly know Jesus Christ, if you will pass this test. But also, on the flip side of that coin, you will come to know that you do not know Jesus Christ if you do not pass this test. That's how straight John's line is, that there's two options. There's not an A, B, C, D, E, none of the, the above sort of options. There's two options this morning. By this, we know. Now, I do want to also say with this, that means that there is a possibility for an assurance of salvation. That means that you really can know that I know that you don't have to go to bed wondering. That means that you don't have to leave here this morning unsure. That means that if you are in Christ, guess what? Hallelujah. You can leave here knowing that I know that I know that I know that I know I know him. Nobody can take that away from me. But on the flip side, you can also know that you know that you know that you do not know him if you do not pass the test this morning. So what does this mean? What does it mean to come to know him? Because John writes, by this, we know that we have come to know. Now you can't really see it here in English, but there's a lot of wordplay going on. You see, the, the heresy that he's dealing with at that time is Gnosticism. There was the group of people that we talked about, the Gnostics. 
that they were claiming to have this intimate knowledge of God, this secret hidden knowledge. So the word that John is using in the original, he's saying, okay, well, they call themselves knowledge. Well, here's how you can know if your knowledge is real, if you keep his commandments. But what does it mean to know him? I want you to take your Bible, look over in John's gospel, chapter six, and we're going to run through these really quickly. John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69. We're gonna, again, we're going to run through these really quickly because we have several different verses to look at. John chapter 6, 68 and 69. We're looking at these because John is using the exact same word. It is in the original. He's using the same word here in 1 John that he's using over here. So we want to look at the context over there to help us to get an understanding of what it means to know. So John chapter 6, 68 and 69, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here, the way that he's using it, Simon Peter is showing us that that knowing God is first coming to believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. What does that mean? The Holy One, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the Messiah, the Mashiach, that He is the one true Son of God that has come to take the sins of the world away. It is believing that. That is how you come to know God is in believing in Jesus. John chapter 10, flip over to chapter 10. We're going to look at 14 and 15. John 10, 14 through 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows Me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This kind of knowing is relational. You see, Jesus says in verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. This is what we call inner Trinitarian knowledge. That means The Godhead knows the Godhead. That means the way that the Father knows the Son, knows the Spirit, knows the Father. But more specifically, the way that God the Father knows God the Son, this is the kind of knowledge that we're talking about. It's relational. It's personal. It's between two groups of people. It is this sort of knowledge. And you notice that, John, that he says in verse 14 that I know my own and my own know me. So first of all, knowing God only happens when Christ first knows you. Personally, intimately, relationally. God knows everything. He knows all that there is to know ever since the beginning of time and more than we could ever possibly ever understand. So he knows everybody in one sense, but in a much deeper sense, he only knows 
his sheep. He only knows his bride. Those of you who were with us through the attributes of God's study, this should sound familiar to you because we talked about this when we were talking about God being omniscient, that he knows all things, but he knows individual people, his elect, his bride in a very special way. And that's what he's talking about here. Flip over to chapter 17. John 17, it's verse 3. John 17, verse 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. And He's praying that they would know that the disciples and everybody who would come to a saving knowledge of the truth through the proclamation of the gospel, that they would know God the Father, the way that, and Jesus Christ as well, and that through this knowledge they would have eternal life. Here Jesus shows us that knowing God is on par with, it is synonymous with, it comes with, eternal life. In other words, salvation is found in this kind of knowing God. In salvation, we come to know the Father and the Son for ourselves, personally, relationally, intimately, deeply. So you understand, it's not just a head knowledge. There is a difference between having facts about a person. How many of you, be honest right now, how many of you love the royal family? Well, I know, I know that there's some hands that aren't coming up that should be coming up, but it's okay. People get obsessed with the royal family and they know all that there is to know. Did you know that the royal family this morning had a cup of coffee and a donut? Oh, that's incredible. That is just life-changing information. What? Wow. I didn't know that. Men aren't, the, aren't any better, are they? Did you know that Patrick Mahomes, when he threw that pass, that's the first time that anyone under the age of 24 and a half has ever thrown a football from that side of the field when the temperature was 73 degrees and there was less than... I'm like, what? What do we do with that information? Nothing. Because it doesn't gain you access into that person's life, does it? It does not equal knowledge of that person, that I know this person. It's just I know about them. And this is the difference that we're speaking of here, is that knowing him, that John is talking about in 1 John, that if we know that we have come to know him, this is an intimate kind of personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that equals salvation and eternal Life. This is what 1 John is talking about. So let's come back to 1 John. Knowing the Son, believing in the Son, brings us into this intimate knowledge of the Father and the Son, wherein we find eternal life. This is the kind of having come to know Him that we're looking at here in 1 John. There's a big difference between being able to win Bible trivia 
and really knowing who God is. They're not the same. The Pharisees proved that, don't they? John says, by this we know if we keep His commandments. John shows us that this kind of knowing God leads to transformation. He says, this is how we know Him. If we keep His commandments, this is the test. Here are the answers. You can know that you have truly come to know Jesus Christ and God the Father if you keep His commandments. It is not flipped. It is not saying the way to come to know God the Father and God the Son is by keeping His commandments, is it? The Pharisees tried that, didn't they? It didn't work. The people who were uh, teaching these false heresies, they were trying that, weren't they? They were trying to say, I know God, just because they know God. And it doesn't work that way. God must first know you. And then He brings you into knowledge of Him. He says, my sheep, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. It means that there are other sheep that do not know Jesus. Here you can sort of imagine John holding up this lens through which to see the teachers of the time. They claim to know God. Great. Do they live up to this standard? Yes or no? They say that they know God. Do they keep His commandments? Or do they merely claim claim to know Him? The Gnostics weren't exactly sticklers for morality. They didn't really believe in it. And we see that quite a bit here today in our ch- the American church, don't we? Anybody can be a Christian. You want to be a Christian? Great, you're in. Just check off this card and you're in. You don't need to change your life. You don't need to have any evidence of fruit in your life. If you want to be a dinosaur, be a dinosaur. Church, it doesn't work that way, does it? This is what we're learning in 1 John. Is that by this we will know. Not by your profession. He didn't say that, did he? And by this we will know if we come to know him, if we say we have. Is that what, is that what anybody's Bible says? No. It said if it is evidenced in our life by keeping God's commandments. Now we need to understand something about that. And we've talked about this before. But keeping God's commandments has never been about the letter of the law. It has never been about, look at this checklist, do all of these things, and that makes you a Christian person. That's not what keeping His commandments means. Yes, there are absolutely things, rules, ordinances, commandments that we need to follow, but it first comes from a heart that has been transformed. And now you live out these commandments because it's what is within you. It is not because you read something, though we do read it, don't we? I know that this can be tricky to understand. But what you need to know is that it first starts in the heart. If your heart hasn't been transformed by the knowledge of God, then you do not know Him. You just know about Him. The Pharisees were really good at keeping the letter of the law. 
They were awesome at it. But did they know God? No, they didn't. So allow me to display this in two ways. The word that John is using here is what is why I'm saying this. When John says, keep his commandments, the word keep in the original means to conform the pattern of your life after. Do you see that? Conforming yourself after something. It is not just doing things. It is being someone It is not doing Christian things. It is that because I have Christ in me, I am a Christian. And that will evidence itself in a life that follows God's commands because it's written on your heart. Let's shine some light on this from another passage. I want this to be very clear to you. Luke chapter 18. You can turn there if you wish. But this is Luke chapter 18, 18 through 23. Luke chapter 18, 18 through 23. I'm going to go ahead and read. And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Notice what is said here. Jesus gives this list, this man, a list of commands, right? He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, honor your father and mother. He gives him the commands and says, these are the way to eternal life. And what we do is exactly what this rich young ruler did. I've kept all of those. I've done all that stuff. I've kept all of those since my youth. Praise God, hallelujah. Yes, I'm in. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're still lacking something. Sell what you have. Give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven And come follow me. You understand, Jesus is not commanding him to follow a list of orders and commands, but to follow him. This is the Christian life. It is becoming like a person as we follow a person, not just following rules. Do we understand Is this clear as molasses this morning? Here's what you lack. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Come mimic me. Learn from me. Be with me. Come and know me. 
rich young ruler. We have so reduced the beautiful Christian life to just a list of do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's what makes you a Christian. No, that's what just makes you a moral person. Plenty of people are moral today, especially in our heightened political climate. People love to say, well, I'm a conservative. And a lot of times we seem to think that conservative means Christian. Those two things are not the same. There will be plenty of conservative people who have lived wonderful, moral lives who will be sentenced to eternal judgment. Why? Because it is about coming to know a person. And this is how we have come to know him. Is if it equals life transformation. But if it doesn't equal that, what does John say? Verse 4. He says that this person is a liar. There it is. The harsh reality again, staring us in the face. John seems to love this word, doesn't he? If he doesn't do this, he's a liar. If he doesn't do this, he's a liar. If he doesn't do that, he's a liar. But we need to be jolted by that word. It needs to wake us from our slumber because believe it or not, there are plenty of people who will make a false profession and those people are liars. And we do not want to be counted among that group. So how do we keep from doing that? We test ourselves. I look at my life and I compare it to this scripture and I say, has this happened to me? Is my coming to know Jesus Christ and God the Father being evidenced in my life changing? Or am I just following rules? We need to ask ourselves and search our hearts and what John shows us is a far Sadder reality, he says, and the truth is not in him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What is he saying? It proves that we truly don't know him, proves that we're liars, proves that the truth is not in him. We might know a lot about him, but we don't know him personally. Back in John chapter 17, it said that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Yet if you do not know him, then you do not know the truth. Thus, you have not been set free. Furthermore, as he said in that same chapter, that knowing God is eternal life. So if we're lying about knowing God, then that proves that we do not have eternal life. Life, to state it very simply and clearly, let's hear it very clearly, it means that you are not a Christian. It means that you go to church. Well, pastor, how can you say something like that? I don't think we're supposed to judge people. You can't possibly say things like that. Well, first of all, I'm not saying it. John wrote it. John wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if you have issue with it, you can take it with the author of the book. I'm just saying what this says. But secondly, John is writing this literally so that we can tell real from fake Christians. 
This is what he said. By this we know we have come to know him. What does that mean? That we can also know who has not come to know him. But we first start with ourselves. You've got to look in the mirror. If every mirror in your mind and in your heart is shattered because you don't look at yourself, you don't look at your reflection, you're always pointing the finger at other people, my friend, I point you back to 1 John chapter 1 and say that you are still walking in darkness. Being a Christian is walking in the light. Part of that is examining myself. When I am in the light, I can see. I can see my hands. I can see my feet. I can see what I'm walking into, what I'm walking over. But if I'm walking in the light, I can't. And my finger will always be pointed somewhere else. Understand that Christian maturity is not marked by a growing awareness of everybody else's sin but a growing awareness of and hatred for our own personal sin. That is Christian maturity. And as you do this, yes, of course, you'll be able to more readily and accurately point out and spot who is a false professor and who is truly in the Lord because you know the Lord. And it will be evident to you, no, you don't know him. There's no way you know him. Because if you know him, you would keep his commandments. And if you knew him, you would walk in the light. Verse 5. So John reinforces to us that whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfect. The heart that has been transformed knows that you will never be fully like Christ, but man, you want to be so badly. I'm nothing like Jesus, but man, I want to be. I'm nothing like Christ, but I want to be more like Him every single day. That this would be your prayer. Not just, Lord, help me make it through the day. Lord, make me more like you, Jesus. Strip away the worldliness from my life. Cut away my hardened heart. I'm so prone to believing my own lies. Jesus, make me more like you. By this we know that we have come to know him. You will ever be conforming the pattern of your life after the scriptures. Which, side note, you can only do if you read the scriptures. We find the same word here as earlier. He says, keep. If we keep his commandments, again, the conforming of our lives to the pattern of scripture. But notice it does not say that whoever keeps his word will be perfect. It doesn't say that. It says that whoever keeps God's word in him, the love of God is perfected. You'll never be perfect here. You'll always fail. There will be many times in your life where you will read this and say, I don't keep his commandments because I still struggle with anger. I still do this. I'm still impatient. I'm still this. I'm still that. But Jesus, make me more like you, please. 
This is keeping his commandments, is bringing your sin to the light. We read that back in chapter 1. Part of his commands is confess your sins. Always, ever confessing your sins. Not just one time at youth camp. It is an ever confessing your sins that every morning when you get up and you pray before the Lord, that you're thanking Him for His mercy because you desperately need it because you can't stop sinning. As we grow in holiness, we will become more and more aware of how sinful we are. So if you sit here this morning and you don't find yourself to be particularly sinful, I fear for you. Because it means the Lord is far from you. As the light gets closer to you, it shines brighter. And you can see more. But if you don't see it, my friend, you're in the darkness. And I fear for you. Verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John uses this word abide so often. But it just means to stay. It means to dwell there. It means to reside. Whoever stays in that mode, in, in the Spirit, ever chasing after God, that it's not just Sunday morning, that it's not just Wednesday night, that it's not just the occasional four-minute uh, devotional in the Bible app, that it's I abide in Christ. Whoever says that they abide in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. And here we see it again. Keeping his commandments is not about following laws. It's about walking like Christ did. Will we ever be good at this? No, you won't. We've got to stop the pageantry in the church. Like, I'm more holy than you are. I'm better than you are. I'm a better Christian than you are. Look at how many badges I have. I've taught this many classes. I've spent this many years in the church. Therefore, I am at a higher rank before God than you are. No, you're not. All of us come before God as needy. Needy for grace. Needy for mercy. Lord, please, please be merciful upon me. And what will he do? He will be faithful and just and forgive us our sins. This person, John says, must walk in the same way that Jesus did. In other words, if you are in Christ, the reality, the genuineness, the truth of that statement will be evidenced in you becoming more And more like Jesus, yes, the process may be slow. I will tell you, I will confess to you that I am Mr. I have an idea, let's finish it five weeks ago. So when it comes to sanctification, boy, I have very little patience. But I know that if every day, little by little, there's a little something even if it's just persevering and enduring today, if there's just a little something better today, 
He's ever working in you. And you can have that same confidence just by knowing in Him. These three verses could have been summed up by saying, and by this we can rest assured that we have truly come to know Him if we are becoming like Him. That is Christianity, folks. As I stated earlier, keeping God's commands is not about merely obeying the letter of the law, but being transformed by the law. It is about your life being conformed to the spirit of the law. In Genesis, and I'll finish this up. In Genesis, we find, you don't have to turn there, we find that mankind was made in the image of God. We say that phrase all the time, but do we ever stop to think about what it means to be made in the image of God? That we are supposed to be representative of His nature. Sure, in brief, broken moments, there are glimpses of that in our lives. We see that we have the capacity to love, to act, to think. But all of these things have been marred by the stain of sin. The first image bearer, Adam, ate of the forbidden fruit, and ever since then, all of mankind has been subject to a nature of sin. It is inherent to who we are. Sin is woven into the fabric of our personhood, and the results are evident. Since we no longer inherently did what was right because of sin, God set forth a law and said, okay, here are 613 laws, obey them. This is an attempt, it seems, to restore the image of God in the world. The representation of God's nature, what God is like. Do you understand that this was the point of humanity? Is to be, to bear the image of God. That God would show, this is my nature. But because of sin, we have transgressed against that. We have fallen away from what God's image is like. And we are poor representations of it. And the law shows us that. Because the law shows us God's nature, His perfection, His holiness, and we can't keep it. And from that, we learn that we are poor image bearers. We do bear the image, but we are poor at it. We are misrepresentations. We are bad South Plains Fair caricatures of the nature of God. Mankind cannot fulfill these laws because, again, it is about being and becoming, not just doing. So God the Son came into the world, taking on our likeness. He was born as a human, just like you and I, except for He was fully God. And we had so misrepresented the image of God, His nature, His likeness, that He had to send His own Son into the world. And one of the things He accomplished on this earth was restoring the image of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the exact imprint of His nature. So what we see is that Jesus was God stamping back on humanity. This is my nature. This is my image. This is what I'm like. This is what you are supposed to be. And Jesus was this perfect representation. And he went to the cross. 
after having fulfilled not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, the divine intent He upheld the law perfectly and wonderfully and displayed for us what it means to be an image bearer. So now true obedience, true commandment keeping for those who put their trust in the perfect work of Christ is not evidenced merely by keeping a list of regulations, but becoming like Jesus. Do you see This was God's intent all along is to have His image in the world, His representation, His likeness. This is my nature. And we messed it up and Jesus came and He restored it. And so now when we are a Christian, our job, our duty, God's love being perfected in us, meaning God's love doing what it's supposed to do in us, makes us more like the right image of God. It's not just about keeping laws and keeping rules. It's about restoring the image of God. Romans 8.29 tells us that those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Please stand.